Well, the goal for our time together this morning is to prepare our hearts to celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, the question we are going to consider this morning is, who is Jesus Christ? Who is the baby in the manger? And we're going to be looking at John uh, chapter 1. And John chapter 1 is a, it is a marvelous chapter on the deity of Jesus Christ. And he has such a unique perspective on Christ. John walked with Jesus practically every day for three years. And he heard the gospel preached. He saw how Jesus lived. He experienced the miracles of Christ. John was the only disciple who was at the foot of the cross while Jesus died. All the disciples ran away, but John made his way back to the foot of the cross. So he was there at the cross when Jesus died. He was also there the day that Jesus rose from the dead. He made his way to the empty tomb. And eventually, John went out and proclaimed that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and he ended up dying in exile separated from civilization because of Christ. And so if there's anyone you should listen to about who Jesus Christ is, it is the Apostle John. Everyone gets their information about Jesus somewhere. Some people get it from the History Channel. Some people get it from, I don't know, the Discovery Channel or maybe the Simpsons or a variety of other, uh, variety of other sources. I don't know. But if you want to be a wise person, I would encourage you to listen to, who, uh, to, to, listen to John on who Jesus Christ is. Is. He saw Christ. He was with Christ for three years. And so, again, the question before us this morning is, who is the baby in the manger? Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? And the big idea of John chapter 1 is that Jesus is God in the flesh. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus is God in the flesh. That God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And John is going to make his case in chapter 1 and, and throughout the entirety of the Gospel of John. He's going to make his case by giving us several points to consider. And there are three points, three truths about Jesus that point to his deity in this text. So the first is that Jesus is eternal. John teaches us that Jesus is eternal. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And I want you to notice these two opening phrases of verse 1 because they are stunning. They are magnificent phrases. Phrase number one is in the beginning, in the beginning. These three words would have instantly grabbed the attention of a Jewish audience because they are the opening words of Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so John places Jesus all the way back in the beginning of all things. The Apostle Paul does this as well. In Colossians 1.17, Paul says, he, being Jesus, is before all things, and by him all things hold together. So Jesus was born... Jesus was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, but Jesus did not begin to, to exist. The Son of God did not begin to exist in the womb of Mary. Jesus Christ never began to, to exist. We began to exist at conception. There was a time when we did not exist, and we came into existence at, at our conception, but Jesus Christ never began to exist. He has always been. He is the eternal, self-existing Son of God. And Jesus describes himself all throughout his ministry as being God in the flesh. He, he talks about how, he says, I'm eternal. I go all the way back. I come, I come from heaven. In John chapter 3, verse 13, he's talking to Nicodemus. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So Jesus says, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He said, he's saying, I have come from heaven. Verse 13 reminds me of one of the worst pickup lines in the history of the world, which is when you ask a woman, you say, um, did it hurt? 
you know, did what hurt when you fell from heaven? Now, if you are single, I'm sure this pickup line will help to keep you single, so please don't use that line. But if you tried this line on Jesus and you said, Jesus, did it hurt when you fell from heaven? He'd say, yes. Dead serious. Like, he's like, I'm from heaven. I'm the son of God. I'm the son of man. I have come from heaven. And he talks this way constantly. John 17, 5. Now, Father, this is his prayer. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had. Okay, we got to pause. With the glory I had. Okay, when did Jesus have this glory? And where did he have this glory? Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Before the world existed. So when did he have this glory? Before the world existed, in eternity past. And where did he have it? In the presence of God the Father. So before the creation of the universe, before the creation of time and space and matter, before there was anything, there was this eternal, glorious, loving relationship within the Godhead. The Father with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so John says, in the beginning. He puts Christ there. In the beginning was the Word. That second phrase is, was the Word. Was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Greek word for word is logos. The logos. In the beginning was the logos. And this second phrase, the phrase, was the Word, would have shocked, it would have shocked the Greek-speaking world. Because Greek philosophers understood an inescapable reality, an inescapable truth. And I think this is obviously true. It doesn't even matter who you are. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how well you're educated. If you just think for five minutes, you will, you will see that this is an unavoidable, inescapable reality of existence. And here it is. If something exists now, something exists right now, which something does exist. The universe, the universe exists. We exist. If something exists now, then something or someone must be eternal in the past. If something exists now, then something or someone must be eternal in the past. The Greeks looked at the world, the Greek culture looked at the world, and they said, it cannot exist without divine help. And this divine help, this divine reason, this divine speech was called the Logos. The Logos. They said, it just can't, the universe can't exist unless, unless there's something divine unless there's divine help. And John says, Jesus is the Logos. He is the Logos. This title and this name, Logos, belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. So in these opening phrases, in the beginning was the word, these phrases would have captured the attention of the Greek world and the Roman world. He goes on to say in verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So Jesus is the Logos, Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So how in the world can Jesus, the Logos, be both with God and also God? You see this in verse 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So Jesus was with God, and the Word was God. So how can Jesus be with God and also be God? Answer, there is a triune relationship within the Godhead, that God is a triune being. There is this eternal, glorious, loving relationship at the heart of ultimate reality that goes back all the way into eternity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see this all the way back in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter one. And if you're gonna study the Gospel of John, you have to 
spend a little bit of time thinking about the Trinity. Otherwise, the Gospel of John won't make any sense. And so the doctrine of the Trinity teaches us that God is one God. So how many gods are there? There's one God, and there are three persons. One God and three persons. God is both singular and he is plural. We see this in Genesis 1, 26, the first chapter of the Bible. Then God said. So it doesn't say, then the gods said. There's one God. Then God said, let us, the divine dialogue, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God is one God in three persons. God is not one God in one person. That's the God of Islam, the Muslim God. God is not three gods in three persons. God is not one God with three parts. God is not one God with one person who acts three different ways depending on the time and place of history. That's modalism. God is one God in three persons, three co-eternal, co-equal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And see, the Greek world, they were unsure of what the Logos was. They didn't understand what the Logos was. But John says, listen, all the way back into eternity past, in the very beginning, there's the Word. And the Word was with God in relationship within the Godhead, and the Word was God. The Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Truth number two is that Jesus is the Creator. So Jesus is eternal, and Jesus is the Creator. Verse 3 names Jesus as the creator of the universe. He is the creator of time. He is the creator of space. He is the creator of matter. He is the creator of everyone and everything. And so in Genesis 1, when God says, let there be light, when God speaks and creates everything, this is the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks and creates everything. Jesus is the word of God. He is the divine Logos, the eternal second person of the Trinity. He is the Son. And so he created everything and he sustains everything by his powerful word. If you look back at verse 3, it says, All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. So there's no room for ambiguity here. John is crystal clear about what he is talking about. He's talking about how Jesus is the creator of everyone and everything, everything. So he's not talking about uh, the Avatar world. He's not talking about the Lord of the Rings world. He's not talking about the Star Wars world. He's not talking about the Harry Potter world. He's talking about the world that we live in, the ground that we walk on. Where did it come from? Where did earth come from? God created it. Where did all the stars come from? God created the stars. He created everything. He says, apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created created. God has created everything. The Son of God spoke everything into being, and so John divides everything into two categories. There are two categories of existence. Category one is created and not eternal in the past. This is category number one. Created, you fit into this category if you've been created and you're not eternal in the past. So what would go into this category? Time. Time has been created. Space, matter, light has been created. Angels have been created. Demons, stars. So here's a picture of some stars. You think about those stars. They're not eternal in the past. They're not eternal in the past. There's a time when the stars did not exist. And then they came into existence. They are created and not eternal in the past. 
planets, the planets. Here's a picture of Earth from the moon. Planets, all the planets that exist, they're not eternal in the past, and they came into existence. Next, Beanie Babies. Um, Beanie Babies are not eternal in the past. Here's a picture of the Beanie Babies. Like, if you, they're a recent creation, and they're not eternal in the past. I Googled, I Googled, Animals. I just said pictures of animals and just see what would come up. And here's the list. I'm just going to show you the list in no particular order. So tigers, uh, they were the number one. So tigers are created. They belong in this category. Dolphins are created. Elephants. Hippos. Uh, God even created whatever this uh, next thing is. I don't know what that is, but big-eared, kind of cute, <laughs> but big-eared creature. Antelope. Sharks. Bats. Sheep. Raccoons, silverback gorillas, camels, trees, oceans, mountains, bugs, the laws that govern the universe. Everything has been created by God and it goes into category number one, created and not eternal in the past. Category number two, eternal in the past, not created. What goes in this category? God. That's it. God goes into this category. He is the uncreated creator, eternal in the past. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what John is doing in verse 3. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Jesus is not in the category of created. He has not been created. He's not on the list of created things. And this is significant because whenever people want to destroy the gospel message, one of the places they start is with, is with the identity of Jesus Christ. They will go after the identity. False teachers will always go after the identity of Jesus Christ. There are many false gospels, but one of them, it comes from a spring, a spring of false teaching called Arianism. Arianism. Arianism has been around for uh, roughly 1,800 years, probably even longer. And it comes from a guy named Arius, and Arius taught that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ was begotten by God the Father, but Jesus Christ was not eternal in the past, He's, that Jesus is not the, the, the eternal Son of God. He famously said there was a time when he, being Jesus, did not exist. And he's not talking about the humanity of Christ, he's talking about the, 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 the second person of the Trinity. He is neither God nor is he man, but something in between. So he's not just, just a human, he's more than a human, but he's not actually God. And the Arian heresy is alive and well today in our culture. It's all over our country, all over the world. Some examples of the Arian heresy are Mormonism. Mormons are Arians. They have, their theological roots go back to Arius. They believe that Jesus is created, that Jesus and Satan are actually brothers. They are descendants from Elohim. Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus is the archangel Michael, that he's a created being. Muslims believe that Jesus was a great prophet. He had supernatural power, but he is a created being. All of these are false gospels. They lie about the character and nature of Jesus Christ, and they are damning. If you believe Arianism, if you believe that Jesus is a created being, you cannot be a Christian. This is the point of exclusion, the deity of Christ. This is what Jesus says, John 8, 23. You are from below. 
I am, or he told them, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I tell you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, context, if you do not believe that I'm the son of God, the eternal son of God, if you do not believe that I'm God in the flesh, you will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. At the center of Christianity is the deity of Christ. You cannot be a Christian and deny the deity of Jesus. Why? If Jesus is not eternal in the past, then he is a created being. And if Jesus was a created being, he's not the eternal second person of the Trinity. If Jesus was a created being, then he is contingent. He's dependent on other people or something else, some other power. He's not ultimate. If he is a created being, he is not sovereign. He is not in charge. He is not God in the flesh. The gap between eternal, being eternal and not eternal, is infinite. The gap between infinity and being finite, by definition, is infinite. If Jesus was a created being, then the gap between Jesus and God is infinite. It is an infinite gap. So according to Arius, Jesus could be truly man. He was a man, at least somewhat of a man, but not truly God. But John does not give us that option. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. He is the creator of everything. So Jesus is eternal. How do we know he's divine? How do we know Jesus is God in the flesh? He's eternal and he's the creator. And those truths are pointing to the deity of Christ. Number three, Jesus came or became a man to give us life. Jesus became a man to give us life. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is a stunning claim. The word, the eternal creator God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is worth celebrating uh, during the Christmas season. This is, I mean, you should celebrate this all the time. You should celebrate this truth and consider this truth forever. I mean, just every day of your life, all the time, the mystery of the incarnation of Christ, that the word, the logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. And there are so many things happening in life, so many wonderful distractions during this time of year. And I love Christmas, just for the record, I love Christmas. I would take another Christmas tree in my house if, if I could uh, find a good place for it. I love Christmas, I love Christmas carols, I love Christmas parties, I just, I love, Christ I just love everything. I love Christmas music, I love uh, anything that goes along with Christmas. But there are so many good things to distract us from this profound mystery. The truth of Christmas, that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> that the baby in the manger is God incarnate, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Christmas is the time when God broke into the world by becoming a man. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this, this is a statement of fact that John is making, but it's more than that. It's a statement of wonder. He's marveling at this. He goes on to say, we observed his glory. He says, we saw him. Like we saw the glory of God. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, when it comes to the incarnation of, of the son of God, the incarnation was, was not an act of subtraction. What I mean by that is the Son of God 
when the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ became a man, he did not stop being God. It was not an act of subtraction. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't leave, he did not leave his position as the Son of God. He didn't stop being divine. Rather, the incarnation was an act of addition, that the eternal Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, creator of everyone and everything, took into himself humanity, and he really became a man. Not, not like, uh, are they called centaurs? Is that what they're called? The half horse, half man? Is that what they are? That's not Jesus. He's not like half God, half man. That's not what he is. He is truly God and truly man. That Jesus was as human as you are. He was as human as you are. And yet remained God. Now, why did he do this? Verse 4. In him was life. Why did he do this? Because in him was life, and that life was the light of men. That Jesus came into the world to give us life. He came to give you life. He is life. He didn't come into the world to say, you should, you know, here are the 10 steps, the 20 steps, the 30 steps to clean up your life so you live a better life. That's not why he came. He came to point people to himself because he is life. He is life. What we do, what I do, what we do is we try to find life in everything else in the world, but Jesus says, no, 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 come to me. Come to me that you may find life. He came to give the world, he came to give us eternal life. How does Jesus give eternal life to the world? The first way is by being our substitute. Death is unavoidable, like you're gonna die someday. You may not like to think about that, but you're gonna die, and when you die, you will step into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and be judged by him. You will be judged by Jesus. John 5, 22, the, the Father, in fact, judges no one but, gives, but has given all judgment to the Son. The Father, in fact, judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son. So just imagine that day when you stand in the presence of the resurrected Jesus Christ and if the Lord Jesus were to give you what you deserved for your life, for all of your words that you've spoken, if he were to give you what you deserved for your behavior, what you've done, what would you get? What would you get? The answer is you would get death. If he gave you what you deserve, you would get death. You would get hell, you would get condemnation, and you might think, no, I'm a pretty good person. It's like, you might be a relatively good person in the world, but that's the day when all of our words will come rushing into the presence of God. When all of our motives will come rushing into the presence of God where we will see the holiness and righteousness of God and we will see our own sinfulness. All of our sexual sin, all of our lying, all of our pride, our selfishness, all of that will come rushing into his presence and you won't be able to stop it. And if you got what you deserved, if I got what I deserved, I would get hell. And you might think, no way, no, 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 that can't be, but had you really earned your place in heaven? Have you lived up to your own standards, let alone the standards of God? Have you earned eternal life with God in his presence forever and ever? Certainly not. But that is why Christ came. The Lord Jesus came into the world because left unto ourselves, we are hopeless. We have no hope in the world. We cannot redeem ourselves. And so the Lord Jesus became a man. He came into the world that he might give us life. One scholar said, if you could defeat sin on your own, there would be no manger, no cross, and no empty tomb. 
If you could defeat sin by yourself, if you could work your way to God, if you just by going to church or trying to be a nice person, if that was the only thing you needed to do to be made right with God, there would be no manger, no cross, and no empty tomb. But because we are enslaved to our sin, we cannot deliver ourselves. Christ broke into the world. He came into the world that we might be redeemed, that we might be changed. And what he did is that he lived a perfect life of love and total obedience to God. There is one human being who has earned his place in the presence of God. There's one human being who has earned eternal life. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he did as as an act of, of, of love for God and us is that he voluntarily went to the cross. And at the cross, what's happening at the cross is that the Lord Jesus Christ was dying as our substitute. The Lord Jesus Christ was dying in our place. So all of the wrath and all the condemnation that you deserve, that I deserve for our sin, all of it was poured out on him at the cross. He bled and died to take away our sins. Because of his great love for the Father and because of his great love for you, he died that we might live. And so how does, Christ, how does the Lord Jesus Christ give us life? It's by being our substitute, taking the burden of our sin and dying in our place. He died that we might live. The second way he, he gives us life, number two, is by making us children of God. By making us children of God. The argument of the Gospel of John if you were to sum it up, you read the whole book, there's, there's probably more you could add to it, but the basic argument is that the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, died as our substitute on the cross to make his enemies children of God. Now, isn't everyone a child of God? No. No. Not everyone is a child of God. Everyone is created in the image of God. But because of our rebellion, because of our sin. Because we have decided to live our own way. We, like sheep, have gone our own way. We've gone astray. We have positioned ourselves as enemies of God. And so what Christ has done, he came into the world not to just crush his enemies. He came to die in the place of his enemies. That we, in our sin, who are opposed to God, might become children of God. John 1, 11 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. I mean, this is true of so many in the world today. I mean, you think about that. When the gospel is proclaimed, when Christ is lifted up into the the world and people see Christ and they hear about Christ, so many people, they just reject him right away. They never even consider him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. Who are born not of natural descent, nor of the will of the, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, man, but of God, born of God. So to those who received Christ, those who see the glory of Christ, that it is Christ who's dying on our behalf for our sins, people who see who Christ is, that he is God in the flesh, the Savior of the world, to those who receive Christ, their sins are forgiven and they become children of God. They're born not of man, but they're born of God. They are born, again, they are given a new life. See, the goal of our salvation is not just getting out of hell. Christ does get us out of hell. He redeems us from the wrath of God, no doubt. But our salvation is so much greater than just getting out of hell. I mean, does anyone want to go to hell? I don't think so. Maybe you do. But Christ died that we would get out of hell, no doubt. But much more that we might be reconciled. him 
that we might have fellowship with God forever. And that is what Christ has done. He's, he has bridged the gap between God and man that we might know God through Christ, that we might be brought near to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And this happens as a gift of God's grace. It's not something that you earn. It's not something like, okay, memorize, memorize the New Testament, then God will save you. That's not the way it works. The way it works is that God looks at the world. He sees the world. And when someone receives Christ, believes in the gospel message, that person is redeemed. That person is forgiven. That person is made new. That person is born again. He gives eternal life to anyone who would receive him as God, as Lord, as King, as Savior. John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. And so I'll just close by asking you the question, when you look at that baby in the manger, what do you see? Who is he? If you believe that a man named Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, and that's what he was, a guy named Jesus, you will not have eternal life. If you believe that Jesus was just a good teacher, that's all he was, he was just a good moral teacher, a good example for people to follow, you will not have eternal life. If you believe that Jesus was just a great prophet, you will not have eternal life. But if you look at the manger and you realize that the baby in the manger is the eternal, self-existing, uncreated creator of everyone and everything, and that he became a man, that he might die in our place for our sins because he loves you. If you believe that message, if you see Christ coming into the world to be our substitute, God will save you. He will redeem you. He'll give you a new life. This is why Christmas is a wonderful time of the year. This is why people have been writing Christmas carols, songs about Christ coming into the world forever. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. The writer of that carol understood. He is the Lord who has come into the world. And he goes on to say, let earth receive her king. That's what Christians do. Christians look at Christ and we receive Christ as our king. He's our Lord. He's not just a great story, that he's alive. He rose from the dead and one day he'll return to judge the world in righteousness. So have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, I would encourage you to, to do that today. And if you already know Christ, just celebrate Christ. Celebrate what Christ has done for you. D take some time to ponder the great mystery of the incarnation of Christ, that he came into the world. He became like us, that we might spend eternity with him. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for all that you've done for us. And I just, I just pray if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, anyone who's just stuck in their own pride, in their own blindness, I pray you would open their eyes. I pray that they would see not only that the baby in the manger is the eternal Son of God, but the, the one on the cross, you, Lord Jesus, that you went there for us. And I pray that would just stir up our hearts to to, to love you and obey you. I pray that people, if they don't know you, they would receive you. And for those of us who do know you, help us to celebrate that truth. Help us to, to rejoice in the gospel of grace. So be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.